So Lord, today we lift your name high. We stand amazed at your love, your marvelous love for us, the amazing grace that you showed to us in time and space 2,000 years ago. Father, we confess that we are undeserving. But we receive your love and we respond to that. Oh Lord, today, wherever we are, each of us on our journey to faith or in faith, may we seek you, may our hearts be open to you even in this very hour. Lord, I believe that you brought each person here today by divine appointment. And I believe by faith that by your Holy Spirit, you have something for each one of us. So open our ears that we can hear. Open our hearts that we can receive. Open our eyes that we can see. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning again. It's been a kind of long morning for some of us. We've been here for a while since sunrise service, so had a great time together there and a great meal together. And just a shout out to Bill Henry and his crew. Can we give them a hand? Yay. Unsung heroes. By the way, in case you missed it, they did have grits this morning, so there you go. Uh, some of us, that matters. Turn to Mark 16. Mark 16, if you have your Bible with you today, you and I are, we are all part of over a billion people today who are gathering to celebrate one singular event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the event that divides history into B.C. and A.D. or B.C.E. or C.E. if you want to take Christ out. But anyway, it's the it's the pivot point of history was this coming to earth of this man, God, Jesus, and his going to the cross. Romans 16, beginning in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. May he bless the reading of it today. Well, you know it's an amazing fact. Even even in 2018, according to Gallup, an overwhelming majority of Americans still believe that the resurrection of Jesus really happened. 
we knew that, but it's nice to know that there's a lot of people that still believe that. It's a, it's a big weekend. Everyone gets a holiday weekend. Easter's a big celebration. You, you go look for eggs you, you, uh, or whatever, and you get Good Friday off. Many of you did. Some of you did. Some of us did. But that, the question here is, in middle America, in 2018, um, what difference does it really make? I mean, I look out among you, and I know a lot of you, your lives are full. You have jobs, and you have family, and you have hobbies and vacations, and you're taking care of your yards, and you're cleaning houses, and you're trying to raise kids, and you've got all this, all this stuff you try to take care of. You know, you, you don't own stuff. Stuff owns you. You know, the more stuff you have, the more stuff you have to take care of. Have you figured that out yet? You know, I, I've watched this as folks get older, and I see them starting to downsize and start giving things away. They're smart. They give away the stuff, they don't have to take care of it. Somebody else takes care of it. Um, I get that. But your life is full. And all this stuff about God, this God talk, maybe, you know, this is Easter Sunday, and I know some of you that, that are, are here today with family or whatever, maybe this is not where you are every week, and this all this God talk, is it real? Is it personal? Is it just kind of sweet fairy tale talk? Does it really matter? Judith Vorst wrote a children's book entitled I'll Fix Anthony. Some of you may have read that to your children. It's a story of two brothers, Nicholas and Anthony. Nicholas, the younger brother, complains about the way his older brother, Anthony, treats him. It was written several years ago, so some of this is dated. My brother Anthony can read books now, but he won't read any books to me. He plays checkers. Do people still play checkers? I don't know. Plays checkers with Ruth from school, but when I want to play, he says, go away or I'll clobber you. I let him wear my Snoopy sweatshirt. Some of you may remember that. I do. He never lets me borrow his sword. Mother says, deep down in his heart, Anthony loves me. Anthony says, deep down in his heart, he thinks I stink. (laughs) Mother says, deep, deep down in his heart, where he doesn't even know it, Anthony loves me. Anthony says deep, deep down in his heart, he still thinks I stink. When I'm six, I'm going to fix Anthony. Anthony's chasing me out of the playroom. He says I stink. He says he's going to clobber me. I have to run now, but I won't have to run when I'm six. When I'm six, I'll fix Anthony. Do you ever wonder if deep, deep down in his heart, God doesn't really love you? That he hasn't really forgiven you? That somehow, some way, you've been so bad and lived apart from him for so long that you're beyond his touch. Turn to Romans chapter 8 if you have your Bibles. I want to talk about this today because I think the message of the Bible is that God is for us. And I think we have to get past some thoughts, and I want to answer some questions this morning that are right from our text. Romans chapter 8, it's one of the epistles. Remember when we went through the greatest story, we, I, I told the story, why didn't, why didn't we stop after the book of Acts, after we have the gospels of Jesus and the early church, it gets started? Why do we have the epistles? Do you remember we have the epistles for two reasons? One is so that God could further unwrap the wonderful story of redemption He has for us. And the other is 
so that he explains how we live out this wonderful salvation we have in him. Those are the two things that you find in the epistles. This part of Romans 8 is, is part of that first part, the part where he's explaining to us what God has done for us, what salvation means, what God's love for us means, what it means that Jesus came to earth and he ever lives today. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is one of the best known, most quoted verses in the Bible about God working all things together for good for us. And there's great truth here that, that God does work in our lives. All of it is for our good. And it is purposeful. I think we have a slide about that. Thank you. But this divine benevolence in this passage is limited, it says in the text, to those who love him, to those who are called. God has this wonderful plan of predestination and foreknowledge that brings us to, our, our, to know him, to genuine salvation. So, Today, if there's been a time in your life when you've moved from being in charge of your life to yield your life to Christ, the risen Christ is good news. His promises are sure and God is for you. And the rest of this chapter is an unfolding of wonderful reasons why we can know that God is for us. And so I'm going to read verses 31 through 39 and then I'm going to ask and answer five questions that are right in the text. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he, also, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Five questions. The first one from our text is question number one. It's in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, if he said, who could be against you, you could think of a lot of things that could be against you. And he lists a bunch of hardships when you get down to verse 35. Sometimes we're against our own self. In fact, in the chapter 4 and chapter 7, he talked about the struggle between our flesh and our desire to sin and the new man and how that is a struggle we have until we die. 
James talks about the struggles we have with the world, the flesh, and the devil. So if he's just said, who's against us? There's a lot against us. But if God is for us, you have to put it in that context. If God is for us, who can be against us? When God says he's for us, it changes everything. One of my favorite verses from the Psalms, Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Pastor overheard a mother and daughter talking after church one day, and this little girl was asking her mom, said, said now, Mom, I know it's important to believe in God, but what I want to know is does God believe in us? And the answer is yes, he does. And he's greater than anything in the universe. And so the question is, if God be for us, who can be against us? The answer is, it really doesn't matter because God is for us and he's greater than anything in the universe. Question number two from verse 32. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Now he sets it up by saying, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. In other words, it's an argument, it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. Okay, track with me here. If he gave us his son, how many of you are parents here today? Okay, I don't have to say anything else. If he gave us his son, I still can remember going through, doing a Bible study with my older brother. And we got to John, John 3 and John 3, 16. And this was when I was just married. And my brother looked at me and he said, you won't understand this till you have kids. What it means for the father to send the son. If he gave us the son, won't he give you everything else? You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, okay, imagine when you got a really, really rich grandfather. Okay, it's, I know it's imagination. You got a really, really rich grandfather, and you're his only granddaughter, and he says to you, says, I want to build you a house. Tell me, tell me what you want in this house, and he builds you the house of your dreams. And, and you're there, and you're, you're standing on the front door with your grandpa who just built you this half million dollar house. And you say, I, you know, I know it's a lot to ask. I really hesitate to ask, but could, could I have an extra set of keys to the house? How foolish. Of course you can. If the Father gave us the Son, how will He not also give us everything else we need? What will He give us? Here's a short list of what He'll give us. He'll give you strength in the hour of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God will make a way of escape so that you can bear it. A friend in the hour of loneliness. He calls us friends. Jesus does. Direction in the hour of confusion from Psalm 32, verse 8. He gives us comfort in the hour of our loss. He provides for us physically in the hour of our need. Matthew 6, 25 through 34, the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the part where he argues not from the greater to the lesser, but from the lesser 
to the greater. Do you remember that? He says, remember what he does? He says, I'll take care, I take care of the grass in the field and I take care of the birds in the air. And if I, can, if I take care of them, do you think, do you just think he, that I might take care of you? Well, of course. How much greater are we than the birds of the air and the grass of the field? So these are assurances today that God is for us. He gave us the Son. Question number three, who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? This is verse 33. Now, understand we live on a spiritual battlefield. I talked about that last week. Yeah, last week. Satan is the enemy. We live on a spiritual battlefield. There's a tug of war. And you're the prize. Satan, the devil, Diablos, literally the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. What does he say there? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? The devil tries to bring charges to us. It's like the, <laughs> it's like the story about the, about the man who was having a talk with his, his friend, and he's talking about having an argument with his wife, and he says, you know, I, I just hate it. I hate it when we have arguments. She always gets historical. And the guy said, no, no, you mean she gets hysterical. He said, no, no, I mean she gets historical. She brings up everything that I've ever done and reminds me. And I want to tell you, and the devil does that. The devil gets historical. He goes back. And he'll say, how can, how can God be for you? How can God forgive you? How, God, how can God be pulling for you in the direction that you're going? How can he do that with who you are and what you've done? The charges that he wants to lay at your door. The devil may get historical. Your spouse may get historical. Your own conscience, I think, may be your worst enemy sometimes. It gets historical too. And we believe, we say that God has forgiven us, but sometimes we have a hard time believing that. But that is not from God. It goes on in the passage. It says, it is God who justifies. And if God says he justifies us, who are who are we, even ourselves, to hold a charge against us? We don't justify ourselves. Anytime we think we're justifying ourselves, we're trying to earn God's love and approval, and we've missed it. We don't justify ourselves. That's why we talk so much about grace, unmerited favor, unmerited kindness, the grace of God. Do you deserve what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago? No, you don't, and I don't. None of us do. It's grace, grace, unmerited favor, but he did it to justify us. God is for us. Question number three, who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? The answer is no one can. It is God who justifies and God is for us. Question number four from verse 34, who is he that condemns? Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. John 3.17 says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. This passage here we have in, in, in Romans 8, 34, it's, it reminds me of a, it's a little bit like a, a mini apostles creed there. Christ died, was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us. He is interceding for us even now. So he's not only not condemning us, he is interceding, he is pleading for us. He is pleading the benefits of his death for us right now. Joshua Harris wrote a piece that he entitled, The Room. It's kind of long, but I want to read it to you. It's so powerful. He said, I dreamed I found myself in the room. There was no distinguishing features except for one wall covered with small index card files. Without being told, I knew exactly where I was. This lifeless room with these small files was a crude catalog system for my whole life. Here was written the actions of my every moment, big and small, in a detail my memory couldn't match. The titles ranged from the mundane to the outright weird. Books I have read, lies I have told, comfort I have given, jokes I have laughed at, a lot of things I wasn't proud of, like things I've done in anger and, and people I have judged and things I've muttered under my breath. Oh, and when I came to the file marked lustful thoughts, I felt a chill run through my body. I drew out a card and I shuddered at its detailed content. I felt sick that such a moment had been recorded. One thought dominated my mind. No one must ever see those cards. No one must ever see this room. I have to destroy them. I became desperate and I pulled out a card to destroy it only to find it strong as steel when I tried to tear it. Defeated and, and utterly hopeless, I returned the file to its slide and, and then the tears came. I fell on my knees and I cried. I cried out of shame from the overwhelming shame of it all. But then as I pushed away the tears, I saw him. There was Jesus reading every card. I couldn't bear to watch his response. And in the moments I could bring myself to look at his face, I saw a sorrow even deeper than my own. Starting at the end of the room, he took out a file, and one by one, he began to sign his name over mine on each card. The name of Jesus covered mine. It was written in red. I don't think I'll ever understand how he did it so quickly, but the next instant, it seemed, I heard him close the last file and walk to my side. He placed his hand on my shoulder and he said, it is finished. I stood up and he led me out the room and there was no lock on the door and there were still blank cards to be written on. And there are still blank cards to be written on in your life. Your future, I've heard this before, your future is as bright as the promises of God. All because of the power of the cross. He did it all. 
He took away all of our sins and mistakes and failures. And when I own up to my sins and mistakes and failures, then he just signs his name across my name. He takes my place and he writes his name in blood and completely forgives me. And it doesn't stop there. I think he prayed that we would receive not only that forgiveness, but all of his benefits of his strength, his power, and his hope in this world. Donald Gray Barnhouse, a minister of yesteryear, wrote, You do not have a problem too great for the power of Christ. You do not have a problem that is too complicated for the wisdom of Christ. You do not have a problem too small for the love of Christ. You do not have a sin too deep for the atoning blood of Christ. If there is fear in your heart, it is immediately known to Him. If there is sorrow in your heart, it is immediately a sorrow to Him. If there is a grief in your heart, it is immediately a grief to His heart. Question number four, who is He that condemns? The answer is Jesus did not come to condemn, but to save us. God is for us. The last question, question five. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he lists five possibilities of trouble and hardship and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword. Then he continues the list, and it gets even bigger. Life or death, supernatural powers, the present or the future, the the dimensions of time. Does that separate us from God? Height or death, the dimensions of space. Does that separate us from God and the love of God? And the answer is no. Question number five, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is nothing will separate us from the love of God forever. God is for you. I don't know where you are on your journey. I don't know if you've thought much about God. I know that we're all at different places. This may be old news and your heart is just full of joy and singing because you've been walking with God for a long time and, and Easter's our day and it, just, it, was, it was, I, woke, I woke up in the night and I was just excited about Easter Sunday. It's so powerful to know that God loves us. But for some of you today, you, you haven't grasped this thought that God is for you and He loves you and He wants you. He wants to adopt you into His family. He wants you not to be condemned, but be forgiven and to be in a right standing with Him. And He offers that freedom, that forgiveness in life. God is for you. It sounds good. Really? Is it really true? Yes, it it really, really, really. Deep down in His heart, Deep, deep down in his heart, he loves you. He does. So how does this, how does this happen? Now, a while back I went to the gas station and they put some new pumps in and somebody went in and paid for just enough gas to fill up a, a, a can. They were going to mow their grass. 
and somehow they turned on my pump for that, and I think I pumped 68 cents of gas in my truck. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, this isn't going to help me very much uh, to get me across town, you know? And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, there's thousands, there's thousands of gallons of gasoline right below my feet, right down there. I've got, you know, I'm holding this pump and I've got 68 cents in my truck. It's there. Listen, hear me today. Some of you may be thinking, yeah, I know it's there, but how do I get it? I, I feel like I'm only getting about 68 cents worth of God, 68 cents of hope. And there's thousands of gallons. There's enough to fill you up and everybody in the world that will believe to fill you up. You see that promise I began with in Romans 8, 28? That God works all, works all things together for the good of those who love Him. He wants to do that in your life. He wants to work all things together for good. So how do you get that? How do you access that? Well, that's the glory of the gospel. And Tina hinted at this this morning. It's just, it's you talking to God. It's you yielding your life to God. And you don't have to say anything. He knows the thoughts going through your mind. It's an inner choice. It is the surrender of your will, of your real life, to surrender to Him. That's what it is. It's nothing more than that. It's recognizing that this is truth about God, that, that He really did come and He died for you to forgive you of your sins. And in response to that, you ask Him to forgive you and to come into your life, to surrender your life to Him. I always say that it, the, 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 the gospel is, is a free gift, but it's not cheap. It's not cheap. He's asking you to yield your life to Him. That's what it means for Him to be your Lord. That's what it means for Him to be God. That's the only way you can sing with the whole heart. These songs that we sing on Sunday morning is if you've given your life to Him. That's the good news of the gospel. And the wonderful news is whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, it's for you as much as it's for anybody who's ever lived on God's green earth. It's for you. So I'm going to have a prayer. We're going to put it up on the screen. The, the words, saying the words like a mantra is not magic. It's only if you make this decision in your heart. And I want to give you a chance to do that today. Again, I know some of you have committed your life to God and you're following God. And like I said, your heart's full and singing because it's Easter. It's our day. But some of you may be at that point where you're ready to cross over. You've been tracking, you've been tracking, you've been tracking, and it's time to take that step. It's time to take that step. So pray with me. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, unless you want to pray the prayer. If you want to pray the prayer, look up the screen. I'm going to read the words, and I'm going to ask you to pray this in your heart if you mean it. Dear God, I realize that I've made a lot of mistakes. I have done things wrong, and I'm sure I've done things that displease you. I ask you to forgive me. Jesus Christ, I believe you are alive today. I don't understand it all, but as much as I know how, I ask you to come into my life. I want to open the door to my life right now. Jesus Christ, come in. I believe in you. I want you to be number one in my life. I need your power, and I want your purpose for my life. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Again, the words aren't magic, the decision is magic, and if this was your day, if this was your day, if this was your day of salvation, I'd like to know about it. You can send me a text or shoot me an email or just give me your name on a piece of paper on the way out. Let me know somehow. I want to pray for you, and I want to make sure you have the encouragement that you need to get started in this new life. That's a wonderful day, and God is for us. Let's stand together for our closing prayer. Dear Father, we are so humbled to think that you love us. We are so undeserving. We could never have merited your kindness and your goodness to us, and you have poured it out upon us in the death of Jesus for us to restore us to a right standing and to give to us a real and genuine life, more and better life than we've ever had in this world and in the world to come. And we stand on your promise that wherever we are, that your love is going to endure forever and nothing, not even death, will separate us from your love. You take away our fears. You give us assurance and hope and confidence. What a faithful God you are. We praise your name today. We leave today in the power of the risen Christ to serve you, to follow you, to love you. In Jesus' name, amen.